Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. You are listening to 3CR's Spoken Word, and I am George O'Hara, and today we have a phone interview uh, with David Stavanger, and it goes for a while, so we'll get straight into it. Let's have a listen to David. Yeah, so I moved up to Queensland in 2003 uh, from the south of Sydney and found my, and found a community that I just really connected with. I think the, I think the combination of the, the temperature, it's not a very big town, and there's something about the energy where you feel like you can take risks and maybe there isn't the cynicism about having seen anything everything before well there's an there's an, there's, a, there's an enthusiasm for the possibility of failing which i kind of liked so it meant i could really uh yeah i i was coming out of being a psychologist i mean i lapsed i became a lapsed psychologist there is such a thing it's like anything that lapses you know we, we, yeah you still carry it around in your bloodstream anyway i started to develop my own kind of voice and, and, and was able to in Queensland at the time. Um, and through that, at that time, was really getting into spoken word and poetry slam, not so much poetry slam maybe today as a, as a, as a form, but more as a format, more as a way to, you know, shake up the idea of just an open mic poetry and having something that's far more interactive and participatory and a little wilder and our first gigs were called outsiders they're up in noosa we used to have a dj and a mic hanging from a tree sometimes we have a boxing ring um we had people that would uh, if we were fundraising i'd put my face in one of those sort of um football targets and people would throw cream buns at me (laughs) um so yeah it was it really it really wasn't high art you know that was not the goal but it was high kind of joy, experimentation, and very much... community in... together as well. Yeah, it totally. Like. It's like a lot of... Like, is it even family-based, you could say? I don't know what the if there was language, but... Yeah, um... no, no, there was definitely lang- language. You know, I, I, the word family's been so co-opted. Um, it's what I kind of tend to avoid. It was actually just a real, real uh, yeah, community. And I think the biggest thing was anybody could turn up and do anything, um, yeah, cool. which is probably a little different from like the more kind of formal sort of slam um which you know is is, is, there, is there now which i love as well you know i love yeah. i love the whole yeah. range of it you know yeah. in, in spoken word yeah like an open arts thing where you've got an open stage and people can come up and do pretty much yeah what they want yeah and i think it, it's yeah it was and it was a period myself and there was other really significant voices that are still around like uh, pascal uh burton there was like a new surge of um yeah, performance po- performance poets really is how how most of us identified, I suppose, uh, in that kind of mid two thousands. It wasn't the, certainly wasn't the first time in Queensland, but it was just a new new surge of that. And off the back of that, um, I was creating my own alter ego called Ghost Boy, which was uh, you know very kind of gallows humour, um, punk cabaret, kind of just trying to push the boundary of what you could and couldn't do live with an audience and really was majorly into the art of discomfort at the time um and how do you try to lose an audience which was yeah. also as i look at it now more about my own you know performance anxiety um being distilled i see it differently now but um well hindsight's a wonderful thing 
Hindsight's a wonderful thing. But but at the same time, you know, it was really, yeah, what does what happens if you're a performer and your goal is not to be loved? And and that's kind of like was the under, underpinning of it all, I suppose. I started working with musicians and around that time, the Poetry Slam was going national through Miles Merrill and his work. And yeah, cool. he, he said, hey, do you want to get on board and set up the Queensland chapter? And that's what happened around 2000 and, um Six, so uh, yeah, I sort of helped establish Poetry Slam and the National Poetry Slam in Queensland and help establish spoken word. But, you know, as did many people, but I was just one of those people that was sort of heavily involved in, in what's still a really thriving thriving scene up there. Yeah, cool. So like, I've got, you, you're in a band called Golden Virtues. Ghost Boys Golden Virtues was another kind of iteration of, of Ghost Boy, where I was, you know, at the time, I think, you know, I was massively into uh, Nick Cave and Icky Pop and Patti Smith, and I really liked, you know, things like uh, Hedwig, and I really liked the idea of, um, yeah, sort of like, um, I suppose it was like a spoken word punk circus ringmaster with a full band and mannequins and cabaret. And it was really wild. There was more people on stage than there were in the audience. Yeah, wow. Um, some of our best shows, That's you know, there was... <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we were crazy. We would book, come down to Melbourne, book a big room and of three, four hundred people, there'd be four people there. Yeah, wow. But occasionally someone would see us like a, a green room award you know, judge who gave us a, you know, a nomination or something like that. But, you know, we did boho masquerade ball tours uh, through a bunch of cities and um, we did Adelaide Fringe in the Spiegel tent and, you know, we we sold out some shows up in Jesus Wright Centre up in Queensland. But it kind of reached a point where, you know, yeah, I was just that burnout with that and had pushed the idea of, yeah, Ghost Boy was becoming a cartoon of myself so yeah but it it was very diy slap some black makeup on put on a leather chain put on a hat and go out there and get the inside the audience to not love me and that was kind of like the the base of basis of it really and there was a lot of psychosexual kind of elements to it um and and just great music the musicians are amazing they were they were much better than me so I just was out front and I was like an elastic band. They let me stretch out in the audience and um, then they dragged me back to the stage. So it's trying to be like the, the, the anti-hero of the poetry scene kind of thing. <laughs> I wasn't particularly trying to be anything. Like I, I think I think it was very provocative, but I wasn't trying to be provocative. I think it was actually just... Uh, me exploring different possibilities of live performance having like i'm not trained and come trained in in performance i've never done a writing degree it's never really interested me that much so um yeah a lot of a lot of what i taught myself i taught myself in real time which meant lots of errors lots of flawed shows lots of under underdeveloped concepts um and i think and i think in in brisbane and, and other places there, there was something about that rawness which was kind of um, appealing. Yeah, fantastic. So the the, the manuscript you mentioned, um, did you want to talk about that for a bit? Yeah, the new one or my book? The, well, start with the book. Okay. The book, The Special. Uh, I, I have a good friend of mine, the poet Nathan Shepherdson, amazing poet, 
um, had been encouraging me for a couple of years to enter the Thomas Shepcott Prize, which is a manuscript prize in Queensland, run through Queensland Poetry Festival, and now it's Queensland. I finally did. In 2013, the manuscript was the special when it came out in 2014 through University of Queensland Press. And it was, it, you know, it was really amazing. Um, I was kind of like this performance poetry freak, heavily associated poetry slam, and suddenly I had a, you know, a page collection. I had people come out to me saying, oh, you know, we, we didn't know you actually wrote real poetry as well. Uh, what is real and talk to, talking about me in the third person, yeah, what is real poetry? <laughs> Um, that's always an interesting and boring debate all at once. Um, yeah, so no, look, I, I was really uh, incredibly fortunate for that to happen. And those poems, most of those people hadn't seen. And um, yeah, the book was really about, uh, I suppose, all the, all the experiences I'd absorbed as a psychologist, as well as starting to explore some of the mental health issues I'd started to face uh, in in the years preceding that uh, manuscript and other and other things and I and I had my own way of writing it again a very gallows humour and my own way of working on the page um, which I think is really I don't know really essential to, to to poets to find their own way to work in a medium rather yeah, than try to yeah. work the medium like everyone else is working it yeah no I actually read through that book um, the the special uh, and some of it was I've I've been through the the mental health um, areas of stuff. Um, and I found it quite, uh, confronting actually, um, to see the, the, like the views of the people on the other side, um, like the people dealing with, um, someone who's been, uh, submitted or committed to, to the mental health, uh, area. Um, and, but yeah, like my favorite poem, uh, that I liked in that one was, uh, The Fridge, believe it or not. It was just that observational, just this weird observational thing um, that was during the floods. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Fridge, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, probably three, um, really liked that, um, liked that poem. And yeah, it was. It was the Brisbane floods, 2011. I think most poets in Brisbane in some way wrote a poem about it. And yeah, it was just a lot of surreal images. It was hard. I think when those sort of major events happen where you live, it's hard not to. Yeah, totally. If you're a writer, and it's just about, you know, how do you write about it in a way that's not just, um, I don't know. Um, it was so absurd. How could you not write? How could you not write about it? Yeah. You didn't have to make it any, you didn't have to amplify the absurdity. Yeah. It was right and funny. It was documentation, really. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there any uh, poem in that in the special uh, that you is your personal favourite uh, that you'd like to read? If you'd like to. Read? Yeah, I I, I kind of like. Uh, I, I I don't I don't read this one very often. It's the last poem called Sky Whale. I like it because it was late. It was written later on, and the Sky Whale um, was a controversial kind of hot air installation. Thing. It was supposed to look like a whale, yeah. and um, there was issues with it to do with the, uh, I don't know, handling the wind in certain areas. Anyway, I don't remember the whole backstory, but we I'd gone down with my partner uh, Emery to see it in a park, and uh, I wasn't in a very good place at the time, and then we just ended up looking up at the sky. Uh, so this is a sky whale for Emery. They lied. There is no whale in the sky. The ocean is not blue right through. On the hottest of days, wearing black inside out, swept off course to land. 
Looking up at the tallest trees, wounded men weep in the woods, you're all I need to get by. The oracle spoke of how we are chasing the wonderful. There is no more that can be planned. I don't care who gets angry. There have been such times of hate. This place is the last place to hide. No longing left to hang from the nearest branch. We drift dive, sleeping side by side in the black house across the river. I wake up living. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I was actually reading along with that. Oh, that's <laughs> Which beautiful. Is, yeah, no, I've got the book here. It was like a friend of mine lent it to me. And it's, yeah, that's, that's pretty full on. Yeah, look, you know, I was in very, uh, well, you know, I think I have a chronic mental illness and uh, it's, 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 it's been very acute at times. And, you know, uh, that in that particular book collection, especially, I think I kept it all at a distance a lot, um, which you, you can do through writing. Yeah. Um, very catharsis. Yeah, but how do you not make a cathartic, bring it close and personal, but still make it accessible yeah. um, be beyond your, the personal ex- lived experience and, and make it sort of, I don't know, be in mental health writing, that's the ultimate unreliable narrator, or maybe the most reliable narrator. I don't know, somewhere in between. <laughs> so I think like the, 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 late, the work I've written since sort of maybe documents those sort of experiences. I risk more of myself in the writing. And that poem, I think, was the start of that, saying, okay, I'm going to offer more of myself in the work rather than this distance from the subject matter. Yeah, cool. So, with the manuscript, um, mm-hmm. did you want to talk? Or did you want to read another poem from the special? Oh yeah, I read line. I like line. <clears throat> line. Enter the tangle. Stay in groups. Make sure you're alone. Bear your fangs. Smile with tiger eyes. Do not feed the lion. Creep towards the moon. Recall that animals react poorly to the smell of their own blood. Do not wound the lion. Get down on your haunches, count the steps you haven't taken, ask tour guides about refunds, tell your captor you're not leaving. Fold the corners of your mouth into paper cages, birds without flight offer you feathers, do not chase the lion. Light the distress flare, throw a rock at your reflection, roar at your childhood wasteland, do not tame the lion. A hundred yards away is still too close. Rapid movements, excited talk will do. Take all the above steps and appear larger by raising the roof of your head. If you ever stop praying, may as well start hunting. Blessed is the lion that becomes the man that it has eaten. Yeah, (laughs) that's fantastic. I remember reading that one and just going, wow, that's very cool. I like something, there's something, I don't know, proverby, primal, yeah, about yeah. A, a, a essential about that one, which I wish I could write more often. But um, yeah, I, I, I really like that piece. Yeah, that's brilliant. So yeah, with the manuscript, um, did you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I was really lucky last year, um, fortunate. And you got, you know, it's the arts is a mixture of fortune and hard work yeah you know you've got to you you've got to kind of be a mixture of a kind of uh 
yeah, kind of be charmed and a, and, and a grifter and really dedicated and kind of relentless and, and a hustler too, I think. And part of that is grants. So I was lucky to get a Australia Council grant after, you know, I've written plenty of grants over time. And um, part of that grant was for my next manuscript, which had kind of been on delay because I was in more producer role with Woodford Folk Festival and co-directing the Queensland Poetry Festival, which took everything out of me and my partner, Anne-Marie Defue, and giving everything to that. That was our creative um, project, really. So yeah, the next manuscript's called Case Notes and it's just finished. I've been really lucky to, um, yeah, have people like uh, UQP's former poetry editor, Felicity Plunkett, and Laura G. Mackay, amazing writer in Melbourne, look at it. And someone who's a real mentor of mine, Jennifer Compton, who oh, gave it a, a line by line forensic kind of interrogation. And what's best is doing that with her late at night and hearing her, her laugh in response to the lines yeah, cool. as if you're not there. And then you go, yeah. And, and, and savage lines that need savaging. And yeah, I mean, if she invests in your work, she invests in your work. And that's such an important thing to have older mentors with your work. It's just critical, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I love so, Jane yeah. Compton. I've, I've found, uh, like, one of my one of my housemates uh, read a poem and Jen came up to her and said, I, I want to I wanna do some reviewing and editing with you because, yeah, and, and that's, like, a, it's a real honour to have someone do that um, who's established as a poet, which is really cool. Yeah, ne never turn that down. Yeah. I think uh, people sometimes want uh, praise because we all have that massive void of reassurance, which will never be filled anyway. Um, I don't, I don't think. And yeah, when people like Jen, they, they're kind of they're, they're elders. Like um, you know, people like Ian McBride, people like Pye. I mean, yeah, totally. they, these they, they're just some Melbourne figures. But I think that's something Melbourne maybe had like when I was in Brisbane in the mid 2000s, there's uh, a gap and maybe being missed a little, you know, and, and um, that's starting to change, had started to change when I just recently left Brisbane. But um, I think, I think you really need those older poets to offer, to, to invest in your work and challenge you on your work and, and, and always take criticism as the highest praise. Like it's, it's, you're really blessed if someone wants to critique you. Yeah. Um, that's such a rare gift, yeah. Is it? Yeah, it just helps. It helps improve, like your work, and you, you, it gives someone else's view. And if, yeah, as you said, they're elders. They're like, you know, tribal elders that are, that are coming in and you know giving you advice on stuff that you're well, not doing. Yeah, I think you know you you get better. I think you get better as a. I think you get better as a writer the longer you go. Not maybe not always, but. These, these these writers have seen something maybe you haven't or need to confirm something you need to push further um you know laura j mckay is always amazing at just sort of telling me to to keep being sort of dangerous and work that's dangerous and these and, and read these pieces to pursue this thread further and you know really made me think about the work it is it's, it's interrogating the work someone interrogating the work because sometimes you're too close to it yeah. Um, sometimes the work work is just you know is bad and you need to let it go and there's yeah. it's bearing other work that that really is what what you're doing is it, it's the spine of what you're about so yeah so this yeah this next this next book's called uh case notes and it's sort of like um 
I suppose it is. It is literally a file, I suppose, of direct experiences around mental health and uh, public and private and um, receiving ECT through to really absurd sketches, character sketches based on living in Brisbane and then the northern rivers of New South Wales. Um, yeah, cool. So so when does that, so that's uh, finished writing now. Is that coming out soon? I don't know when it's coming out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, it's taken one ages to sort of get it to where it is, but I, but it's if it'll either come out um, next year, uh, 2000, what year are we in? 2019. That's reassuring. Um, or, yeah, no, it'll come out to early next year or year after. So for the listeners, I was just talking to George and my uh, landlord from where I just moved, we've had uh, removalists moving stuff and we've been in a big dispute with them and they left half our stuff behind and then they, if we didn't pay them by 6 p.m., they were extorting us for more money and they were going to bring it down. Uh, This is the life of, uh, this is the life of a poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you for letting me take that call to uh, negotiate with my last landlord. Nothing like having multiple landlords calling you in the one day. It's um, <laughs> it's fantastic. But um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of like uh, I suppose that's kind of what uh, case notes is. Um, plus looking at um, I don't know, like yeah, the idea of poetics. I really like the idea of poetics. Is poetry memoir? How reliable is first person? The idea of unreliable narrators, and I think I mentioned that before, and in, in mental health, and yeah, it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, observational, um, kind of surrealist observational sketches of, of different things. Yeah, um, yeah, like a different point of view. Yeah, a different point of view, um, which which is kind of more shorter prose. Uh, poems, a bit more po- poetry about uh, my son, um, which I don't usually, yeah, so it's sort of like um, experimenting with a lot of different things, form, voice, subject matter. Um, I, I really love it. Jen Compton really liked it, so, yeah. you know, that's a good sign. That's all, yeah, that's always good, so Jen likes it. You know it's good. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> You can, can you read from the... the... Yeah, I can read. I oh. can read. Uh, yeah, so one of the poems uh, called Octonaut. Um, okay. Yeah, so actually someone else came up with the name. Uh, we'll kind of reference it. And then I was like, oh, that's going to be a great title. Um, yeah, the, this yeah this poem, um, I don't enter a lot of prize things. Um, but uh, yeah, I entered it into this, the Moth Irish Poetry Prize, this big prize uh shortlisted which is yeah not so much me bragging more kind of just shocked i was totally shocked i got a call at like uh, 11 o'clock at night uh from this irish editor saying it had been um uh shortlisted so yeah this bomb's um really about my son i just read it to him the other day actually um and it's really about uh, kids that aren't neurotypical i suppose the best way to put it so this is called octonaut Every time scientists go into the midnight zone, they find a new species. My son is telling me this as he picks at his hands as if they're locks to release. Every time I'm with my son, I'm in that pitch dark, so familiar and unknown, looking for the luminescent when the lamp goes out. 
Walking across a footbridge, he tells me water is harder than concrete. Someone jumped from this very bridge last week. My son wants to know if he knew the fact before he leapt. I'm not sure what he knew. My son tells me even if he survived the fall, he wouldn't have been able to swim with broken limbs. Sometimes in the midnight zone, there are fish who pass by like sparklers, segmented worms, the snorkel masks of parents trying to understand that which breathes below the surface. All these specialists measuring depth. I don't know what my son sees when he swims alone. I know my son does not live in a world of perpetual darkness. I know he has colossal dreams. He's too tall for his strange thoughts. I don't need a doctor to use the word complex more than once. Every time scientists go into the midnight zone, they see someone's child floating like a lantern, reading alone in the corner of the sea's bed, waiting for experts to name their light. Yeah, wow. I like that one. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, they're, they're, there's probably more light in my work than some people might, might, uh, might think. I mean, that's kind of a love poem for my son, really. And, and, and for our, and for our the space between us and within us, I suppose that that makes us um, other and son really. Um, yeah, and I read it to him, you know, and he liked it in his own unusual way of liking things. So yeah, that's that, they're, they're the things that sort of strangely matter, I suppose. But um, but that's probably not typical of the new uh, new new book. But um, and I like that and this tenderness. This yeah, I'm getting more and more into tenderness in writing. Yeah, cool. cool. So you'll be coming to Melbourne uh, soon. Uh, did you want to talk about the, the work? Are you, do you have any gigs on in Melbourne when you come down or is it just the work? Yeah, I've got this theory that if you're a poet, you really should get down to Melbourne. It's not once a year, close to. You yeah. know, I, I used to come down once a year and do ghost boy gigs and now kind of, you know, life, et cetera. But um, I still get down pretty pretty regularly and try to do uh readings like i think last time i was down i read the anthony and santo and amanda's gig uh, which is a fantastic gig i love their gig um i can't think of what it's called right now the, um the, the owl and cat is that the... yeah yep. yeah i think it was that long play or something else last time i was down there i just love the vibe um the way features kind of the way they create a space for the features. And I think the time before that I read at La Mama, which, you know, it's one of my yep. favorite gigs. Everyone, Beautiful, how could you not love, um, yeah, reading it that, but yeah, uh, I'm doing the, um, oh, what are they, what's it called? Uh, I'm doing the Melbourne Poets Union feature at, um, Hair and Hyenas. Yep. I think it's on the 17th of May. Uh, with Anya Walwitz, who is in, you know, uh, one of her pieces is in this new spoken word anthology, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to seeing her read because to me, she's one of the most interesting sonic performance poets, that kind of performance prose. I love her stuff. Um, and that's at Hairs and Hyenas, which I, you know, um, Crusader and, and, and the crew there, I haven't been there for a while, but last time I did a fringe show, yeah. Ghost Boy um, many years ago, and um, it's one of my favourite venues. Great, is, yeah. The the bookshop that at night turns into a awesome 
yeah. thing of awesomeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's so open and there's nothing really like that. There's no, yeah. can't think of an equivalent venue to that, uh, say, in, in Queensland, maybe. Um, I mean, there's some great venues. But, yes, I'm doing that. I'm doing Sporting Poets on the Sunday. Alice Allen runs a gig and she, I, I don't know who I'm reading with, but that's supposedly an awesome gig. And then doing the workshop for Melbourne Poets Union uh, on the Saturday, the the 18th, which, yeah, Tina got, got in contact and um, said, will you do a workshop? But I said, I will, but it's not really going to be an exactly a poetry workshop. Um, more interested in that, interest in that space between, you know, uh, particularly for emerging spoken word artists or spoken word artists who want to look at how do you, you know, how they kind of transition that work to, the page medium, how to kind of edit it for that space in their own way, but maybe ways to look at it, you know, in, in that space. Spoken word artists are always uncomfortable doing that and maybe it's not intended for that, but so, some some want to and so maybe lose something in, in that. So, yeah, that's kind of like the goal of, goal of the workshop, really. Um, emerging and mid-career spoken word artist. I don't know what a mid-career spoken word artist is, actually. That's that's a wank of a term. But, you know, but spoken word artists do have careers now. Like, they didn't. Like, when 2004 five, when I was doing starting out, it wasn't the same as it is now. There are spoken word artists like Omar Musa and Maxine Benita-Clark and others that have really crossed crossed over majorly, you know, like, and, and that's so good to see. Like, that's so good to see. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. So until next time, this is George O'Hara for 3CR's Spoken Word. Mm